0: Hi, I'm Richard Lefley. I'm the EVP for Microinsurance company. I'm based here in the UK and it's great to be talking with the InsurTech Business Series podcast. And I'm really looking forward to sharing uh, my experience of bringing insurance to millions of people in Africa and Asia.
1: Welcome to the InsurTech Business Series podcast. I am me And I am
2: Gamola. And together, we host the most exciting podcast on insurance and tech related topics in Africa. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to another interesting episode of Tech Business Series. And today we have an amazing guy in, in the house. He's been in and around um, the insurance industry on the African continent for a while, for a number of years, a very long number of years, especially in the micro-insurance space. And we're super excited to be speaking with him, especially around you know the fact that, uh, I mean, following the pandemic, right, right? Uh, there's a lot of conversation around building uh, insurance products for John insured and looking at the uh, the the insurance uh, space on the African continent, how underpenetrated it is. Uh, so we're having
0: Richard in the house. Richard, how are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's um it's always funny when people introduce me because they obviously take one look at my grey hair and work out that uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, can they say that I'm an old guy, you know, like that I've been around <laughs> for a while. So yeah, I'm fine with it. You know, don't worry. It's cool. <laughs> 20 years, maybe 20 years of playing this game. So yeah. Wow. Wow. 20 years. That's,
2: that's, that's a long time. And I mean, how has that been? How has going into that space been for you? Looking back now?
0: Well, I, I guess the real question is, would I do it again? Right. So if I, if I had a time machine, would I go back and, and choose to do it again? And, 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 the, and the honest answer is probably not. Right. So um, I think it's, I think it's incredibly hard, right? Selling insurance, selling insurance is hard. No, no one wakes up wanting to buy insurance. Um, so, you know, everyone can understand the need for a loan or a savings account. Everyone wants to receive remittances from overseas. Mm. Insurance is the, is the kind of ugly duckling of the financial services world, isn't it? And, you know, and selling insurance to the mass market, you know, to the 97% of, of, of people in Africa who don't have insurance, that's tough, right? That's really tough. So it's been tough and it's been um, a very uh, a difficult journey. We've learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes um, along the road. Um, I'm glad I've done it. I mean, it's been definitely been rewarding, so I don't regret doing it. But I think um, the fine line between success and failure is incredibly narrow. And, and so... Um, you know i've been grateful to make it this far um and with a bit of luck and and maybe you know uh yeah there's some 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 support from a lot of different companies it's been it's been an interesting journey, but, uh, I probably wouldn't set out on the journey again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't, but I mean, definitely it's been, uh, fulfilling for you looking at, uh, you know, what you've been able to achieve and even how the company has, has, has grown to what it is today. Uh, yes, we'll go into, um, that, uh, later now, but before we go there, you've told us a bit about, I mean, what your experience has been in the past year, but uh, in past 20 years, right? Um, uh, Looking at the more recent times, right? Uh, Covid has happened. A lot of things have happened. Uh, how is Richard uh, in the face of all of these things?
0: I, I, I mean, obviously, yeah, uh, Covid's tragic. I mean, I, I sometimes feel guilty uh, because I live in I live in the UK. I live in in a kind of quite a rural area. Uh, I live in a town of about one hundred and fifty thousand people, and and frankly, life hasn't really changed here. So, you know, we hear these stories about Covid, and obviously, you read the newspaper but it hasn't really washed up on our shore here in, in rural um, England. So I feel really guilty knowing that many mm. of my colleagues around the world have, have kind of faced a much harder time. Um, I do think, though, it's focused minds, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's focused minds around, um, around this idea of insurance and what's it about, right? So, you know, and I think it's really shone a light on on those kind of companies that really don't want to pay claims, versus Mm. those that understand that when a pandemic happens, that's exactly Mm. when you're supposed to step up and help people, right? And so it sorted out the the men from the boys you know in mm. the insurance world and I think you know uh, people have shown their true colours you know those the, there are insurance companies who don't want to pay claims you don't want to uh, be involved in, in helping people in their time of need and I think um, it's weeded out those companies and, and I think the, the general public now know who they are
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely and I mean speaking about claims it definitely is one of the major issues uh, not only in the Af- on the African continent but around the world right but uh, how did, I mean, starting off, uh, how did Micro Ensure approach this whole issue around claims, uh, especially serving the African continent?
0: Well, I think, I hope we've been radical. Um, I mean, I always found it hilarious. Well, slightly worrying that an industry, you know, there's an industry, the insurance industry, and they call, um, you know, they call these these claims losses, which you mm. quite a lot, doesn't it? Right. I mean, yeah. imagine imagine if when Coca Cola sold a bottle of Coke, they they referred to that as a loss. You know, that the whole purpose is that you buy something you can drink. So the whole purpose of insurance is that when something bad happens you're supposed to get some money. And yeah. the industry calls that a loss, right? Don't, I mean, that that kind of says quite a lot, right? It's like, why don't we call it like service delivery or <laughs> of contract or I don't know, like there's so many different things, but like the whole mentality is one of like, how do I avoid not, not standing by the contract, not paying up? How do I find a way out of this, right? Because it's a loss. So, you know, right from the outset, Microinsure, I mean, we set Microinsure up. And, and of course, Microinsure is now the microinsurance company. So, you know, when when we started working in this space, um, the idea was to say, look, insurance companies have been around for decades. Ninety seven percent of the population don't have insurance. So clearly something's wrong. Something is broken. Um, So let us work out what is broken and then let us find a solution to that problem um, and and try and fix it. And if we can then find a solution, and I believe you know a lot of that was around things like okay, how do we come up with really really simple products that can be explained mm-hmm. in a simple you know in, in a single text message? How do we remove friction from the customer journey? So how do we make it super easy to sign up? How do we make it super easy to pay? How do we make it super easy to to make a claim? And then the final piece, of course, is as I said, is, is getting the claims paid quickly. So you know mm-hmm. um, when when we started working. In, in a country like um, Kenya, for example, you know, I remember meeting with the insurance companies and them saying, you know, and boasting to us and telling us how quickly they were paying claims. And when we looked into it, we realized that they were taking 90 days from the time they learned about the claim to the time they paid. And, and in their opinion, that was super quick. That was like, you know, incredibly fast. Um, and when we turned around and said, no, we need to pay that in like less than five days, preferably... One or two days, it was just shock. You know, it was like how you know how would we ever do that as an insurance industry? So we've had to kind of shake things up a lot um, to try and get people kind of to understand what we're trying to do. Mm, mm, that, that's that's quite
2: interesting. Um, can you t- um, take us back to? I mean, how did this whole thing? I mean, we've said twenty years now, um, but how did it all start uh, for for you coming to that space? Uh, I mean, I've, sure. I've, <laughs> yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, so I was um, I was 29. Um, I was fairly idealistic. I was working in London as a reinsurance broker, um, and I um, I became fascinated by that. There was this kind of report that um, Swiss reproduced um, called the Sigma Report. It came out like once a year, um, and it and it had in it like all the statistics around kind of penetration of insurance. So how many people had insurance in this country, you know, etc. And and there was one table in that report which I remember very well, and um, it kind of basically said it was this table. Like, and on one side of the table it said, what were the most costly uh, natural disasters in dollars? And so this was always in you know, in the US, in Europe, in Japan, you know. Um, and then on the other side of the table, it was like the most costly natural disasters in terms of human life, mm. right? And, and and this side of the table was dominated by like Bangladesh and India and you know and and, and countries in Africa, right? Mm. And and so there was a kind of mismatch between Kind of cost, you know, measure of cost in dollars versus in human life, and there was this mismatch between the kind of Western world and emerging countries, right? And and so that that kind of like flagged to me as a young guy, hey, you know, there's this huge mismatch between where where the risk is and where the insurance is, and so I I decided I wanted to find out more, so I I went down, I I took like a two week vacation, I I I, uh, took um, kind of one of these kind of, you know, NGO type, you know, uh, voluntary service things. I went down to Zambia to do some some voluntary work in, in a village. But really, you know, my, my real aim was to go and find out what was going on. Why weren't people buying insurance? And, you know, over the course of the two weeks, I had a lot of conversations with people in that village in in northern Zambia. Um, and one of them, one of the conversations um, was really kind of a turning point And it led to the creation of, of MicroInsure, and, and, and of course, Today, the micro insurance company, um, which was this lady explaining to me that her life was a lot like this game of, of shoots and ladders or snakes and ladders, as we call it in the UK, where she was just trying to work her way out of poverty. But, you know, from time to time, something bad would happen and she would slide her way back to the bottom of the board. And so her, her challenge to me was not how do you stop bad things happening, but how do you stop me sliding back down to the bottom of the pile, right? And so and so that's what we've been trying to do, you know. As a micro insurance company, we're interested in putting in this kind of mm-hmm. safety net that that moves up underneath people, so that as they work their way up, um, when when bad things do happen, they don't have so far to mm-hmm. fall. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah. That's 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 quite interesting, and it brings me to to um, something that I know that you've spoken about even uh, during um, our conference, the ABS, uh conference last year, last November, um, speaking about. Uh, um the, the the challenge of insurance on the African continent not being a product problem but a distribution problem right um, and and I want to ask like looking at this kind of situation now because um the whole history of insurance maybe on the African continent is you are seeing a situation where I mean what is being done or used in the West it was just kind of like imported so it's not kind of like close to the African reality right so it means that things have to be different even the product but your your argument is that it's a distribution challenge i mean maybe you can share more light on that
0: yeah Uh, i think i mean so so my my point and the the point i was trying to get across is that um, I mean, I've been to many, many meetings with mobile phone companies, banks, you know, ride hailing companies. And if you go to those meetings with a, with a, with an insurance company, typically, I mean, you know, the, the way the meeting goes is that, you know, they, they put up the slides and the slides are like, you know, this is us. We're a fantastic insurance company. You know, these are all the people that we work with, you know, and, yeah. and they're kind of like, you know, talking about themselves. And then they finally get to a position where they kind of put up their products. And so they just list out their products and then, insurance becomes very, very commoditized, right? Um, and and so then it just becomes a conversation around, okay, so how do I get cheaper insurance? So if I'm the telco, I'm the mobile phone company, I just look at that and all I remember is that this insurance company has these products and these prices. And so then it just becomes a case of, okay, how do I go and find a cheaper price or whatever? And so the approach that we've taken is, is, is quite different in that um, – no, yeah, like I said, no, no one really wakes up wanting to buy insurance. So why are we talking about products? So what we need to work out it, it's um it, instead of instead of starting with the product and then working out how it's going to get sold, we need to do it the other okay. way round, right? And so we we need to work out, okay, so um, if we're going to sell it through this mobile phone company or this bank or this ride-hailing company, then we need to start from the viewpoint of how are the customers already engaging with this organization? Um, and what are the challenges that this organization are, are facing? So if it's a mobile phone company, maybe they've got declining revenue. Maybe they've got problems, you know, with getting people to actually make transactions on the mobile wallet, right? So across Africa, mobile wallets are being rolled out. But how many people are actually using them? You know, how many people are actually keeping any money on the wallet at the end of every day? Not many, right? Like most people just, you know, put money on the wallet to send to someone, but as soon as that transaction's done, they close the wallet, They never look at it again, right? So, um, you know, and that, that doesn't make any money for, for the mobile phone company. So, you know, what are the problems that the mobile, you know, so, so when I approach those meetings, it, it's through the lens of what is the problem that this, that this business is facing and how can I use insurance to help uh, address that? And so what we found is that there are these kind of four basic models of, of distribution that seem to work in the mass market. Um, you know, and I can talk about those if, if, if you think that's interesting. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Please
0: okay so so what we've seen is that there are there are these kind of four four different models so um, and, and they work with all these different digital kind of companies like telcos and, and, and mobile wallets and banks and the like um, so the first model and, and by the way you can use these as, as part of a strategy so you could start with one model and graduate over time to a different model Um but the first model is that um, insurance can be used in in, in terms of um, trying to change customer behavior. Okay. So typically this is where insurance is given away for free in return for the customer doing something. So download the app, you know, um, make a certain number of transactions, maintain a balance in the account. You know, so the business like works out what it is that it wants the customer to do and then it works out whether insurance is a good way of motivating people to do that activity. So you could you could compare it like, you know, do I want to give away McDonald's vouchers or free Netflix or free insurance? Right. So it's a promotional activity that's done in order to change customer behavior. So that's the first model. The second model is one where insurance can be bundled, hard bundled, along with other services. So typically this is where, for example, um, you might bundle together data, Netflix, and insurance, um, and there might be certain segments of society who, who want to buy that bundle. Or, or you might do data, you know, access to games online and say cyber insurance. You know, so it typically the bundle has to make sense to the to this to the segment that you're targeting it. But but the benefit of this approach is that um, People that buy the bundle get something that they can play with today or use today, as well as the sleep easy that comes with knowing that you've got insurance for 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 something that might happen in the future. Um, So that's the second model. The third model is is, you know, models where insurance can be kind of sold as a standalone product. Um, And this this model, the, the biggest mistake that people make on this model is just putting insurance on the shelf either physically or digitally Um, but no one wakes up wanting to buy insurance and no one's going to come and just buy insurance from an app or from a website Um, it just doesn't work like that right so what you have to do is the digital brand like the telco or the mobile money uh, company needs to take ownership of the product and they need to try and position the insurance alongside another activity so for example if if a mobile wallet um, you know is being used by people to pay school fees then you might send a text message or or a pop up to the people saying, "Hey, do you want your kid to finish school if something bad happens to you?" So in that model, we're not selling insurance. What we're doing is we're um, we're using the data um, of you know what activity people are involved with to then try and convince them that insurance would be a good thing to to take alongside that activity. And then the fourth model is one where it's really all around this kind of gig worker. You know, so we're seeing a lot more people involved in kind of delivering food, uh, driving for ride-hailing companies. You know, there's a huge explosion in the kind of gig economy. And it can to be very powerful in, in, in motivating, retaining, uh, mobilizing that kind of gig workforce. And so those are the four models. Embedded for free, hard-bundled, uh, standalone for sale, um, and the, kind of gig, the gig worker economy. And, and so we tend to, whenever we're approaching a telco or a you know, new company, we try and think about it through that lens of what, which of those four models is going to work best for this company and what is the problem that we can fix using one of those distribution models. And then what you find is that the product kind of almost automatically happens, right? So, you know, um, once you've decided which of those four models that you're going to use, you <laughs> that almost dictates the features of the product because it will tell you how much the product can cost. You know, there's no point in coming up with a product which is too expensive if you're trying to charge people using their airtime balance because if you have a product which is too expensive, they won't have enough airtime to pay for the product. So so once you've decided on one of those four models, it, it kind of helps you kind of set the parameters of what product would work through that channel. I like
1: the fact that you mentioned um, this four beautiful model, and um, should I say that I'm privy to have benefited from one of your flagship products in Nigeria. Unfortunately, I mean, it met, you know, an undeserving end. But I would like to... um talk about that. We know that um, we've mentioned distribution issues as it relates to, you know, um, embedding certain insurance products to certain services. And I know that there was um, the airtel insurance um, I can't remember, I think as far back as 2015 or sixteen, Yes. Um, and um, I was part of the company um, Connison Insurance that um, was responsible for paying the claims. Yeah. So how do you think or what do you think were the lessons learned from that? Um, being the fact that it was a viable product. Do you know that the IBS Women in Insurance webinar is coming up this month of May? The webinar will focus on the challenges, opportunities, and realities faced by women in the insurance industry. Notable speakers like Rashidat Adebisi, Majori Igwenya, Adolu Adoumi Zer, and many more will be there. More details on our social media pages. Don't miss it. But, um, of course, it was at um, a point in time, met its untimely,
2: um, um, you know. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Adebo Ali Banjo. I'm co-founder, CEO at MyCover.ai, and we are building Africa's digital insurance infrastructure. For the latest news on insurance technology in Africa, keep listening to Tech Business Series. And stay updated.
0: Yeah, it, I mean, in some ways, it was a failure, right? In some ways, in, in some ways, it was a failure. In some ways, it was a success. So, so the model that you're talking about here is um, is one where. You know, uh, we we were working with Airtel across Africa, so we launched insurance in eight, in eight countries. One of those countries was in Nigeria, um, and each of the countries had its own challenges. Um, we we were it was great to work with Cornerstone as part of this product, and, and certainly you know it was a, it was a great partnership. And um, you, you know, Cornerstone was a was a great insurance company to work with in Nigeria. Actually, it was um, it was uh, it was certainly a huge benefit to work to work with you guys um, and. I think what was interesting was that we did have success on one level we, we launched insurance so you know back to those kind of four models the idea was that we were going to launch insurance for free so uh, Airtel subscribers would get free insurance if they topped up more because one of the issues that Airtel had was that they wanted their, their subscribers to top up more with Airtel rather than with MTN or, or with other people and they also wanted people to be encouraged to to stay with Airtel for longer right and so so we launched that product, um, and, the, and the idea of the product was: the more you topped up, the more free insurance you got. And also, the only way to keep the insurance was to, to was to continue to be an active user of your Airtel SIM card. And so we were measured against those two kind of KPIs, right? So one one KPI was. Um, do people top up more? And the other one was: is there a reduce? Is there a reduction in churn? So do people stay with till longer? And on both those metrics, that product was a success. And we and we signed up about one and a half million people. Um, and 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 so in many ways, it was a successful product. But the idea was that we would then graduate from that kind of from that first model of distributing insurance as a free insurance in return for a change in customer behaviour. The idea was that we would then go to a paid for insurance. Um, And uh, having had the free insurance, we would then sell insurance to people, um, uh, you know, and we would turn around to them and say, "Okay, so now you've had this free insurance. Would you like to include a family member or would you like to increase the amount of coverage that you have? But the challenge in the case of Nigeria was that um, Airtel at that time didn't really have a mobile wallet. So mobile wallets back at at that point weren't really ubiquitous. I think MTN had quite an active mobile wallet, but Airtel really didn't. You know, mobile money was really nascent in in Nigeria. Um, And so we, you know, if we were going to make that transition from the free insurance to the paid for insurance, we needed a way of collecting the premium and the mobile wallet wasn't really. Um, a viable platform because not enough people had the mobile wallet and not enough people stored any money in the wallet overnight so if you tried to collect money from the mobile wallet there wouldn't be any money in the wallet for you to collect so, what we wanted to do was to collect money from the airtime balance, like uh, similar to the ringtone model, right? So, uh, we wanted to be able to collect, you know, very small increments. So, if the if the dollar if the product costs one dollar, then we should collect a few pennies every day from someone's airtime balance. And this is very common with ringtones, with sports scores, with horoscopes, with lots of different services. And yet, in the case of Nigeria. When we approached the the um, the regulator, the insurance regulator, uh, there was a long discussion as to whose job it was to decide whether or not uh, insurance premiums could be collected from uh, from airtime top up. Um, and the, there was a I think a year of discussion between the insurance regulator, the central bank, and the telco regulator as to which person's job it was to just dis- to make a decision on this right so not what the decision should be but just whose job it was to decide and after a year i think uh, both us and airtel became a little bit frustrated in waiting and just decided that there were better opportunities elsewhere in africa uh, and so we we gave up waiting we closed down the operation we closed down the free product uh, because there was no clear pathway to go from free to to paid so, so that's what happened. And as far as I know, I think that discussion between the regulators is still ongoing. They still haven't decided whose job it is to decide, let alone what the decision should be. Yeah. But you can correct me if I'm wrong. If, if that decision has been taken, I'd, I'd love to hear. <laughs>
1: um, well, there's a micro-insurance window that was opened um, as of last year. Um, and I actually even wanted to ask if you were aware about that, um, if you'd be interested in, I mean, judging by the fact that micro-insurance is one of the major ways we can distribute insurance products in Nigeria. Um, um, There's a current report from the um, National Bureau of Statistics that says that about 82 million Nigerians are currently um, living below the poverty line. And if we say we have a population um, strength of over 2 million people and we're just playing between the 0.3 percentage and penetration, um, then it means that we're probably not getting the distribution right. So um, as part of that, do, do you think that you're still looking into the Nigerian space, um, having had this experience. And what would you say um, would be your alternative approach to, you know, um, you know, trying as much as possible to cater to this emerging market?
0: Yeah, I mean, so so Nigeria to me is, I mean, on every count. So, I mean, we, we regularly look at countries around the world and, and think which country would we like to be involved with as the microinsurance company, and Nigeria is nearly always, you know, either at at the top or very near the top of that list. Um, so, I think on on just about every other metric. Uh, Nigeria is an incredibly interesting country you know insurance penetration is very low um, you know literacy is is higher than in many other countries um, GDP is actually much higher than the statistics say so there's a lot of kind of like people don't declare their income so people do have money you know um, but but they're not they're not necessarily declaring it so there is money in the system you know people you just look around right I mean drive around Lagos uh, there's plenty of money uh, in a country like Nigeria <laughs> so you know there's a lot of things that are going for Nigeria. But the one big problem is, is this area of distribution, right? And and it's interesting, because at the moment, a lot of the focus is on is on how do we set up, you know, micro insurance companies? How do we, how do we provide more access to insurance? But, but actually that, that isn't the issue. It's not about more insurance companies. It's about fixing distribution, right? So how do we actually reach people in a way which is simple and easy for them to sign up? And at the moment, those, you know, this issue of how insurance is paid for is not being addressed in Nigeria. So that's the biggest blocker for us. Um, Until there's there's clarity over how people can pay for insurance, so either mobile wallets need to take off in a big way, which still hasn't really happened in Nigeria compared to many countries, or airtime can be used as a way of paying for insurance. There's a lot of I think there's a lot of issues with how how successful um, these kind of mass market models will be, will, you know, in, in the short term. All
1: right. Um, I mean, thank you, honestly, for um, that particular response. And I, I've often wondered. I, I know that you are the pioneer for I mean, digital insurance. Um, I mean, for. Millions of people across um, Asia and Africa, um, have you wondered how this is also going to impact your organization when it comes to this, um, um, you know, the AFTA agreements, that's the Africa Continental Free Trader Agreement? Are you looking to expand and play in other spaces as well um, to see how you can adequately tap from this particular opportunity?
0: yeah so I mean i i, I yes I, we are interested in 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 expanding across Africa. We've taken a slightly different path so um last year we uh, we we transitioned from being micro insure, which was like a, an insure tech kind of broker to becoming the micro insurance company. Um, one of the reasons for that was that then we're, we're a kind of digital insurance company that can work globally. We can work in any country. Um, so we can already go into any country in Africa, any country in Asia now, uh, with this model and we're, we're expanding very, very rapidly. So we're opening like a new country every month at the moment, um, And and that's enabling us, you know, to to use uh, a lot of what we've learned previously. So, um, you know, a lot of the lessons that we learned around what products people want, what customer journeys work, um, and the IT that's necessary to underpin those products at scale and we're able to now work with a range of insurance companies, insure techs, um, you know, other organizations directly like telcos, and we're able to rapidly get into these markets and launch. So, so we're really interested in talking to um, people that might be listening in who work in insurance companies or work in insure techs or work in telcos and banks who want a partner, want an insurance company who can provide both the kind of unique product, but also the IT infrastructure that's necessary to make it work, um, and that's really pulling us into these new markets. So we've kind of we, we got a little bit bored waiting for the regulations to catch up, and we just have found a model that works uh, kind of almost outside of those regulations.
1: Oh, I I, I think I like what you did there, um, having because of course regulatory has been one of the uh, major challenges, as exactly as um, as relates to, you know, the actual distribution of insurance products and, you know, having to partner, bundle products and services is just a whole lot of bottleneck. And I like the fact that um, we are beginning to find solutions around that because really that's where you have an ecosystem where the regulator actually supports this thing. You're likely to see more growth. For instance, like Kenya, for um, example, with their accelerator program and some of the, um, you know, ongoing distribution. Contributions to insurtech startups in Kenya—we're we're beginning to see certain growth um, in that. Space. What would you say about, um, I know that
0: you also picked Kenya. Uh, sorry, sorry. On, on that one, just on that one. You know, we, we were we were really, ha- well, I was really happy to be part of that accelerator program in Kenya to work with a regulator. And it was interesting because there was a whole bunch of insure techs that came forward. And one of the things that we consistently heard during that accelerator um, was that, um, you know, they were really frustrated in not being able to get kind of like great products. So there was, I think there was at least two or three companies there who wanted to do kind of usage-based insurance for motorbike you know taxi drivers right so they wanted to have a usage based insurance for the driver but they also wanted it for the passenger so the driver was worried about like you know what happens you know, he, he only wanted to pay for insurance on days that he was he was working and the guy on the back of the bike you know was worried about his ha- you know her handbag getting snatched by, by a robber or whatever and so you know could we do a usage based insurance and in order to do that you needed a willing underwriter which we are so we're now we're now the underwriter and you needed the technology that would support that, you know, instead of selling insurance for 12 months, uh, you know, how could we take that down to insurance for 12 minutes, right? Or 12 kilometers. So, that's what we're doing is that we're underwriting the products and we're and we're providing the technology in partnership with the insure techs who want to launch these products so back to the conversation about distribution the insure tech is all about the distribution that's what they're focusing on our job is to come along almost as a utility for the market and say we're a willing underwriter and a willing supplier of the it services here it is get on and do it and and, and in fact coming out of that accelerator arguably there there were two or three companies coming out of that accelerator who could be seen as competitors. And in my opinion, I'm sitting there saying, look, I'm a utility for the market, so I'm willing to back all three of you, and I don't mind which one of you wins or loses because, quite frankly, I'm just a, I'm like literally a yeah, I'm like a utility, like Mastercard or Visa or PayPal. I'm just the rails that enable you to run. And whichever one of you has the best ideas will succeed. And I'm going to just back all three of you. So that, that that that's kind of some of the things that are coming out of those accelerator programs. It's really exciting to me.
1: Hi, I'm
2: Dr. Neto, founder and CEO of Wella Health, where we're working on affordable access to healthcare using technology and alternative care pathways, microinsurance being central to our work. I'm delighted to be on a chat on Tech Business Series, where we talk about some of the stuff we're learning at Wella Health and how we can improve insurance adoption across Nigeria and Africa. Enjoy.
1: Wow! Wow! Like really, um, we're really hoping to see something like that here um, in Nigeria. We're we're actually working on something that has to do with you know um, some of these accelerator programs for um, issue tech startups in Nigeria. Um, we're hoping that that actually comes um, you know to reality, but. Okay, so that brings me to the fact that um, I'm actually impressed with uh, most of this because I know that I actually saw your organization as um, a partner to the Accelerator program, so it's actually good to hear um, these bits. And so um, bringing that to um, one of the models you talk about, where it has to do with the gig economy, um, how exactly do you intend to play in that
0: space? Well, it's really interesting because our first first experience with the gig economy um, has actually been in the US which is which seems strange for a microinsurance company right but but actually what we've learned is that kind of if you want to sell insurance in Africa then you have to have a really simple product uh, a really frictionless customer journey and you have to pay claims quickly And one of the things that we saw in the U.S. was that there was these kind of section of society who actually wanted exactly the same thing. They wanted a really simple product that was really frictionless to to engage with and really easy to make a claim for. So what we found in the U.S. was that there were, you know, I mean, lots of scenarios. There was a scenario where. You had someone who might have a you know a white collar professional job. They might be an accountant or a banker, but then in the evening they they want to teach Pilates or yoga, and in order to do that they they have to book a public space like a gym. And in the US, if you want to book a gym, you have to have professional indemnity insurance in case someone gets injured. But these people they didn't want a, a twelve month uh, professional indemnity insurance because it's quite expensive. So what they wanted was professional indemnity insurance for sixty minutes or ninety minutes. During the Pilates class, right? And so the same principles applied where, you know, if they made the the Pilates class available. on a a website and people could book the Pilates class, then how do we embed insurance so that when someone makes the booking, they're actually paying a few pennies towards a professional indemnity insurance policy, right? And so simple product, frictionless customer journey, easy to make a claim. And what we discovered was that all the lessons that we'd learned in Africa for dealing with low income families was actually the same as dealing with these gig workers in the United States. And so we started to ask ourselves a question, which was, okay, coming back to emerging countries, you know, what's going on with gig workers? Okay, so there's a lot of ride, you know, there's ride hailing, you know, boda bodas or whatever you call them in different places, you know, motorbike taxis um, and usage based insurance. There's kind of a lot of food delivery that's happening, you know, a lot of e commerce with people like Jumia delivering packages and and what have you. And that, and that introduces a huge uh, kind of opportunity for using insurance um, in many, many different ways, right? So why don't we ensure, like, if the food is late or if the food is wrong, you know, you order a salad and you get a pizza, then the money should be just refunded, right? So, but you shouldn't even have to make a claim. And imagine if you booked, you know, food delivery and it was then late to where it was wrong and... If you just got the, the the cost of the of the food refunded if it was late or if the food was wrong, but you didn't even have to make a claim, you know, the, through the data you just worked, it just was the claim was just automatically triggered and paid back to your account, and um, that would be a fantastic kind of experience. Um, or imagine if. Um, uh, you know, you, you need to book someone, uh, a, a plumber or an electrician, to come in to fix a, a tap or to fix a plug socket. Um, and in the process of booking up the electrician, then you know, if they break something or if they steal something um, in, in the process of, of fixing your tap, they kick over the TV, then then it's covered, right? And so, you know, how do we start to deploy these very um, frictionless customer journeys that we've learned how to do back into Africa, back into Asia? Back into these gig gig working economies, and 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 then you know during lockdown uh, we were working with Kareem, which is um, Uber. In the Middle East, and um, Uber had a big problem, which was that the drivers, you know, during lockdown, there was nothing for them to do, and so they start they, they they weren't logging in, right? And and Uber became terrified that at the end of lockdown, when life returned to normal, there wouldn't be any drivers left, and so trying to re you know re, re um, kind of relaunch the driver network would would be incredibly expensive and time consuming, and so they came to us. And we introduced um, very basic kind of health insurance. And so if you just logged in as a driver, if you just logged in you know, regularly during the week, even though there was no work to do, um, then you got this free health insurance. And it cost Uber like a dollar a month for this health insurance. Um, but the cost of, of, um, of retraining uh, those drivers was, was many, many times more expensive. And so what they worked out was that they could use insurance to retain drivers during the lockdown. And it was a much cheaper option than, than retraining them after the lockdown. So I think um, there there's so many different models that you can use with gig workers. Uh, and, and and we're only just at the tip of the iceberg now. I wanted to
2: go back to some of the things that you said. I mean, uh, you spoke about being a part of the BIMA lab and BIMA lab um, initiative being um, something that was brought up by the regulator in Kenya, right? Um You have been present in different uh, countries and you are currently present in different countries with your products and your offerings. Um, And each of these countries, even if you look at Africa on its own, they have different... Regulations, different challenges, right? And I mean, one thing that that I, I still struggle with, you know, people from the West, you know, they think that Africa is just one country, right? Which is it's not, right? <laughs> so uh, there are different challenges, different um, cultures, different languages, different. What role do you think that uh, the regulator or regulation can play, you know, when we are looking to simplify the products, you know, do something differently in order to ensure that more people, you know, get insurance that they need
0: actually? Yeah. So, I mean, I I, I have been at the sharp end of great regulation and terrible regulation, um, I think. Um i mean i think I think the best the best examples for me are countries like Ghana, like Kenya, for example um, I, I'm sorry to pick on those two countries, but I do think that they they have something um, in common and in those and in those countries um, the regulator has kind of said, okay, look my, my job as the regulator is I'm going to map out what are the edges of the, of the playing field so almost think of it like I'm going to tell you where is the edge of the football pitch okay and, and I'm not as the regulator I'm not going to tell you exactly how you can play football right I'm not going to tell you exactly who can pass to who and you know I'm going to let you work that out but I'm going to tell you what are the edges so you can't go outside of the edges right so here are the edges of what you're allowed to do and then I'm going to let you guys innovate and dream up and come up with the crazy ideas as long as it's within the football pitch i'm going to leave you alone right um and, and and i think the mistake that some regulators try and make is that they try and kind of like you know tell exactly okay this this guy should wear this color t-shirt he should wear these these football boots you know he should have these socks on i mean and, and frankly the regulator the regulator isn't good at doing that right the regulator is good at regulating Is not good at innovating frankly so, you know, I think what the regulator needs to do is create a space that enables innovation to happen, but not try and put too many restrictions. So, you know, saying, you know, for example, defining what is a microinsurance product. I think that that's, you know, foolhardy, frankly. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's fine to kind of say things like, look, here are some principles, you know, claims should be paid quickly. You know, pre, you know loss ratios should be, you know, uh, should give good customer value. All of these things are fine, but don't try and prescribe Exactly what you mean by that in in, in in kind of in a very prescriptive way, um, and the other characteristics of good regulatory environments is where the regulator is fairly kind of humble. So it isn't pushed around by the market, but kind of definitely wants to engage with the market. So where the regulator comes to people like us and others, you know, uh, and says, okay, look, we're really keen. We want this. We want there to be a a kind of radical change. We want lots of people to have insurance. Can we work with you? So how do we work with you? So having prescribed, what are the edges of a football field? They then come along for the journey, so they say, "Look, you know, will you work with us?" So when you've got some crazy ideas, kind of like, tell us what they are. We'll allow you to try them out, and then, you know, and then in, in allowing you to try them out, we want you to keep us informed of how things go, and and in doing that, um, the regulator kind of takes away any of the fear or concern of failure. So the best relationships we've got is where the regulator lets us try out new ideas. But then but then engages with us and says, okay, tell me what happens, you know, when you when you do do this thing, tell me what happens, what works, what doesn't work, what did you learn? And we share that very openly with the regulator. And then there's that kind of trust. The regulator then trusts us. We trust the regulator because they didn't jump on us and close us down, you know. but And then you kind of start, you start this partnership. And, you know, you look at a country like Ghana, for example, you know, 12 years, 13 years ago, we started working in that country. And a big part of the success was because the regulator and us worked together to kind of work out how to do things, right? And now, you know, I think it's one of the countries in Africa with the highest penetration of insurance. And I know, I know that people in Nigeria don't want to hear this, but I do think you've got an awful lot you could learn from your little neighbour uh, in Ghana. You know, um, in terms of how they're going about. You know, I mean, look, look at how many people they're reaching with insurance. You know, they're really at the forefront of, of this whole idea of of bringing insurance to the mass market. And I think it would. Be it would be um, I know that people in Nigeria don't like to learn lessons from people in Ghana but I do think in this case there's an awful lot you can learn you can learn from them yeah,
2: yeah we are still we are still healing from our wounds about Twitter moving there <laughs> yeah so yeah so yeah uh maybe we could um, use the opportunity to tell us a bit about uh, the micro-insurance company. I mean, I mean, I know you started off as microinsure, but can you tell us a bit about microinsurance company and what
0: you are into right now and then uh, what the future holds? Sure. So, I mean, we started off as microinsure insure because um, basically, um, like, like I said at the start, like there's, you know, we could see that there was something broken. So insurance companies have been around for a long time. of people don't have insurance. So the question was, what's broken? and How do we fix it? So when we set up MicroInsure, that was the idea: was let's be a broker because it's really it's it's much cheaper than becoming an insurance company, right? It's it's relatively quick to become a broker. It's relatively cheap to become a broker. So let's become a broker. Let's try and work out what's broken. What are the solutions? And then scale it up. And so I think MicroInsure was successful in doing that. You know, we reached tens of millions of people. Um, but then a couple of years ago, we came to the point and said, okay, you know, in many ways we're successful, but actually we're not being paid enough and we can't get paid enough because the insurance companies look at us and just say, oh, you're a broker, so here's your here's your commission, right? Run along, be happy. But we, we we were doing all the work, right? We were designing the insurance, we were creating the market, we were collecting the premiums, we were educating the consumer, we were handling the claims and yet we were being paid as a broker. I mean, a broker is a guy who plays golf, right? He's not a guy who operationalizes you know, and creates a new market, right? And so, and so we weren't being paid properly and so what we realized was that we had to become the insurance company or we had to become the balance sheet right so so we looked at how to do that and what we decided to do was that we needed to become a reinsurance company um, and so uh, by doing that, we can become like a global digital insurance company that was paid through a reinsurance premium. Mm. Um, and so last year, um, we we did that. We on the first of July, we transitioned from being microinsurer. We're now the microinsurance company. Um, and so the, the, the way the model works is that um, we're able to work kind of globally. Um, you know, a, a company would come to us. So whether it's a, a telco or a bank or an insurance company or an insure tech coming out of like Beamer Lab, you know, they would come to us and say, I want to do this, right? I've got this problem. And so we would then design them a product and we would support that product with our own IT system. And then we would say, okay, well we're not in you know whatever country we're not in you know uh, Liberia or we're not in um, Senegal or whatever the country is and so what we would do is we would find a local insurance company who would issue the policy um, and then they would just reinsure the risk to us as the micro insurance company and that would enable us so we don't need to then be on the ground because what, what we can do is we can use our systems we can see people signing up we can use our system to help collect the premium when when someone's got a question about the insurance, we can give them a WhatsApp number, that that's then global, right? Because then that question pops out somewhere and one of our team teammates, wherever they are, whether they're in Ghana, and Kenya, and Pakistan, or in the US, wherever they are, they can answer that question. And if they want to make a claim, they can also use WhatsApp to send in the documentation and we can administer the claim and say, yeah, this is a claim that's payable. And we tell the local insurance company to pay the claim. What do they do? They credit it to the mobile mobile wallet account. And so suddenly we're a digital global insurance company who's being paid through a reinsurance premium. And this is a very, very scalable model. Mm, wow.
1: Honestly, this is actually absolutely impressive and I'm sure that majority of the, con- I mean, our listeners will be excited to um, listen to this particular episode because it's been awesome all the way. I- I've had some, you know, several take-homes um, that I think can be replicated here as well and thank you so much, Richard, for having to, you know, um, come on our podcast. But before we let you go, um, I'd like to know uh, for people that are listening as well, how they could reach you, because I'm sure that a lot of people that have probably gotten adequate insights from these conversations would definitely want to reach out
0: Sure, so I mean the easiest way is probably through LinkedIn, so I'm very active on LinkedIn, um, if you just search for Richard Leftley, microinsurance company, you'll find me, send me a message there and I'm you know that, that that's a great way to start up a conversation um, or by all means send me an email uh, my email address is richard at microinsurance.com
2: Awesome, awesome Awesome. It was super exciting speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thank
0: you for your
1: time. It's been an honour to have you on our
0: podcast. you welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Hi, Joel Rothman from Cape Town, South Africa. Thanks for supporting Insurance Innovation in Africa. Keep up the great work.